Welcome to episode 41 of Spurbs Herbs. Today we are going to be talking about one of my, I like, I love herbs. All the herbs are my favorites, but, um, you know, there's a few that I, that stand out. This is one of those, Yi Ren, or Yi Yi Ren. Coesa uh, semen, also known as Job's Tears or Chinese Pearl Barley. Uh, I, I like this one because it's a food and I have eaten it as a food and it's delicious. Uh, so uh, we're going to get into it. We're going to learn a lot about Yi Ren as we go along. So uh, stick with us as we do that. So today we will be exploring a Chinese single or one of my favorites, Yi Ren or Chinese Pearl Barley. This is a food substance. I love putting it in my kanji. Maybe we'll talk a little bit about what kanji is in a minute. But also a, a mild but important herb for draining damp. And we will continue our discussion of great doctors by looking at Avicenna or Ibn Sina and his contributions to modern medicine. We're going to start off with that after just a message. But before we do that, you know, I'm a damp person. So draining damp is an important function for me. So that's why I think this is one of my favorite herbs why I'm including it in my kanji. So if you're not familiar with kanji, let's now just uh, mention it. Kanji is uh, basically, in, in, in we call it gruel. <laughs> it sounds awful. Um, but basically, it's uh, usually uh, white rice. And normally, you with white rice, you might do a cup of, of rice with a cup or maybe two of water. And then you have rice. And that's, that's what we eat. But kanji is one cup of rice with six cups, eight cups of water. So it's a very soupy sort of thing. It's very, it's sort of Chinese chicken um, soup. You know, when you're not feeling well, this is what you eat. It's also very healthy. It's considered in Chinese medicine one of the perfect foods. Uh, and so uh, you can make it with all kinds of different grains. Uh, rice is just the most common one. And of course you can use today's Chinese pearl barley or yi ren. Uh, as part of it as well. So I add it in usually rather than just alone with Yi-Ren. That's a lot of Yi-Ren. We'll talk about dosage in a little bit. So I've been talking about, I'm not going to do the same thing. I've been talking about for a, a bunch of episodes now that about my drug herb webinar series. It is almost live at this point. We'll be live in a couple weeks, long before you will hear this, this uh, podcast. But I just, I want to talk about it because it's important. It's what my book is based on. I wrote a book called Integrative Pharmacology, Combining Modern Pharmacology with Integrative Medicine. And it goes into drugs and, and uh, different classes of drugs, how they work on the body. And specifically, as we get into how they work on the body, are there any interactions, any issues we need to deal with with integrative medicine? So it's a, it's a good pharmacology uh, series, but it's also into Chinese medicine and integrative medicine as well. And the, and the first two uh, courses it, or, or episodes, or what do I call them, webinars in the, in the whole course, the first one is just pharmacology basics. It's really useful. It is about pharmacology. It is about drugs, but that's exactly how herbs work on the body. So you can learn about how herbs work on the body by learning basic pharmacology, which is our first is the first three-hour course. The second three-hour course is drug-herb interactions, all about drug, uh, specifically, how do we predict drug-herb interactions? And one of the things is I've created a really interesting tool for that I call the drug-herb matrix uh, that actually helps you align and see if drug-herb interactions are a concern or not. And we go through and we step through how to use that tool in that second episode. You don't have to take them in order. You can take them whenever, wherever you want. Um, but on those first two, they are available right now, and I have them for 30% off. They're already pretty darn low as a cost. You know, all my all my uh, CEUs cost are, are $15 an hour, which is on the low end. Uh, let me put it to you this way. I have a partner, and that is the lowest tier out of like three or four tiers that they have. So they're already pretty inexpensive. And I'm giving you those first two six hours of CEUs for 30% off. That is just an amazing deal. It is a short, uh, it, it's not going to go on forever. So if you do want to get that deal, go to the website, www.integrativemedicinecouncil.org. That's Integrative Medicine Council, C-O-U-N-C-I-L. 
org and put a slash 32 at the end of that. That's how you get the percent. Slash 32. org slash 32 and you get 30% off those first two six hours of CEUs. Um, but again, this is a limited time offer, so please do it quickly. Thank you. All right. Well, thank you very much for listening to that. So let's let's get into our little something different today. So on the last episode, we talked about Galen, flaws and all, probably the greatest Western physician that ever lived, or at least maybe greatest Western physician. That's that's is of course very judgmental, uh, but it's also I, maybe a better way to say it, probably the most influential Western physician that ever lived. I would say way more influential than Hippocrates, who's considered the father of, of Western medicine. Um, so just really important. Galen, super important. Today I want to introduce another really, really interesting doctor, in, in, in historical doctor. And what I love about this is this is sort of an anomaly when you look at Western doctors and, and you look at Western medicine, almost all the important doctors are these are Western doctors as they go through, you know, Hippocrates, Greece, you know, we say that it's Greece and Roman, those are the founders of Western thought, Western philosophy. And, and then as you get into the Renaissance, even most of the, the doctors are Western doctors, Germany and England and France and all those, and it wasn't a little later than a lot of American doctors were some of the best doctors around. But you don't hear a lot about non-Western doctors. If you study, you know, I have a great book called Doctors uh, that is about, you know, the greatest doctors in, in, in history. And there really isn't, there's not one of those are, is a Chinese doctor. They just, it's not even recognized. There's no Chinese doctors. Around. We are going to talk about Chinese doctors in the future, so don't worry about that. But today's episode is really interesting. We're going to discuss Ibn Sina, uh, known as Avicenna in the West. So I-B-N-S-I-N-A, so two words, I-B-N, and then S-I-N-A. Ibn Sina is, is the name, uh, is his traditional name, and then it's been translated into the West as Avicenna, which is A-V-I-C-E-N-N-A. And he is uh, Muslim, and, and you don't hear a lot about Muslim doctors. And you can't study the history of Western medicine without knowing something about Avicenna, at least, you know, Ibn Sina, uh, Avicenna. So we're going to talk about this. This is, he's amazing. And we're going to talk about why he was. So he was born in 980 CE. So Galen, remember, was about second century uh, CE and Hippocrates. Don't give, you know, these are rough estimates. I don't remember exact dates. Um, and, and Hippocrates was like two or 300 CE, maybe 400 CE. So, you know, a, about the difference in time between Hippocrates and Galen, we're talking about that difference in time between Galen and Ibn Sina. And I'm going to, I'm going to, I think I'm going to call him Ibn Sina, which is his, his more uh, appropriate name as opposed to Avicenna, as he's in the West. So he was born in the village of, and again, I apologize for all my pronunciations, of Avshana near the city of Bukhara in Central Asia, the capital of the Samani kingdom at that time in the present country of Uzbekistan. Uzbekistan is, was one of uh, the Soviet uh, uh, states in the Soviet Union. I actually visited Uzbekistan, uh, Almaty in uh, Uzbekistan in Soviet, when it was the Soviet Union. I, was, I, I was very lucky to be able to do that. Uh, and so uh, Central Asia, he, he, so he was born in 980 CE, he passed in 1037 CE at the age of 57. And as many ancient physicians, he was not just a physician, he was a polymath who was also an important Muslim philosopher. He's foundational, he's one of very important philosophers. I'm not going to talk a lot about the philosophy side of things here today, but important to know that his, he was uh, not just a great physician, but also a great philosopher. His students and followers called him Al-Sheikh Al-Ra'iz, or the master wise man. His father, Abdullah, worked as a local governor for a village near Bukhara. He realized that his son was a prodigy child and was keen on getting the best tutors for his genius son. At the age of 10, he finished studying and memorizing the Quran by heart and was proficient in Arabic language and its literature classics. At age 10, 
In the following six years, he devoted his time for studying Islamic law and jurisprudence, philosophy, logic, and natural sciences. At the age of 13, he started studying the medical sciences. At the age of 18, he was a well-established physician, and his reputation became well-known in his country and beyond. He was quoted as stating that medicine is no hard and thorny science like mathematics and metaphysics, so I soon made great progress. I became an excellent physician and began to treat patients using approved remedies. That was a quote from him. When the Sultan of Bukhara, Na Ibn Mansur, of the Samanid dynasty became seriously ill, Ibn Sina was summoned to treat him. After the recovery of the Sultan, Ibn Sina was rewarded and was given access to the Royal Library, a treasure trove for Ibn Sina who read its rare manuscripts and unique books, thus adding more to his knowledge. Now remember, this is all pre-printing uh, press, so books were precious and hard to find. So clearly Ibn Sina uh, was privileged, you know, with his father being a governor, uh, and then to have this royal library be open to him was just, that was a very rare privilege and just an amazing uh, feat, an amazing thing that to, to, to be able to, to do. So, so after the Sultan's death and the defeat of the Samanid dynasty at the hands of the Turkish leader Mahmud Ghaznawi, Ibn Sina moved to Jurjan near the Caspian Sea. He lectured there on astronomy and logic and wrote the first, of his, first part of his book, Al-Qunan Fial Tib, better known in the West as Canon, his most significant medical work. So Canon, this is C-A-N-O-N, so this is, this is talking about Canon as a, as, a, as a revered text, not Canon uh, that fires balls. So Canon, C-O-N-O-N. Later, he moved to Al-Ray near modern Tehran, Tehran so in a modern Iran, the, the capital of modern Iran, and had a medical practice there. He authored about 30 books during his stay there. He then moved to Hamadan. He cured its ruler, Prince Amir Shams al-Dala of the Buyid dynasty from a severe colic pain. Uh, is, uh, colic is, is um, pain that comes and goes. He became the emir's private physician and confidant and was appointed as Grand Vizier or Prime Minister of that country, of that, of that uh, dynasty. When Shams al-Dala died, Ibn Sina wrote to the ruler of Isfahan for a physician at his court. When the emir of Hamadan became aware of this, he imprisoned Ibn Sina. While in prison, he wrote several books. After his release, he did go. He went to Isfahan. He spent his final year serving its ruler, Emir Allah al-Dala. It is claimed that Ibn Sina had written about 450 works, of which 240 have survived. So about half, a little bit more than half of what he's written. And again, you know, some of these great physicians that we have, there may have been greater physicians. There may have been super amazing they didn't write, you know, Galen wrote, Hippocrates, if, if he didn't write, his, his students wrote. Ibn Sina clearly was very prolific in his writing. So that's part of the reason why I think they become so great. But here's also, the, so these works examine many topics including philosophy, medicine, astronomy, geometry, theology, philology, and art. So he was absolutely a polymath, you know, a little bit, did a little bit of everything. He wrote several books on philosophy. The most significant was Kitab al-Shifa, the Book of Healing. It was a philosophical encyclopedia that brought Aristotelian and Platonian philosophical traditions. So those are Greek philosophers, of course, the great Greek philosophers. So it brought uh, Aristotelian and Platonian philosophical traditions together with Islamic theology in dividing the field of knowledge into theoretical knowledge, including physics, metaphysics, and mathematics, and practical knowledge such as ethics, economics, and politics. Another book on philosophy was Kitab al-Isharat wa al-Tambihat, or the Book of Directives and Remarks. 
However, his book, al Kenun fi Al-Tib, or simply the canon, or uh, translated elsewhere, uh, canon of medicine, is the most influential medical book ever written by a Muslim physician. It is a one million word medical encyclopedia representing a summation of Arabian medicine with its Greek roots, modified by the personal observations of Ibn Sina. This book was translated to Latin in the 12th century by Gerard of Cremona, and it became the textbook for medical education in Europe from the 12th to the 17th century. If those numbers aren't hitting you a little bit there, we are talking about the Middle Ages. Well, actually, yeah, this is still the Middle Ages, I think. Um, uh, yeah, we have the Dark Ages, the Middle Ages. And the 17th century is when Renaissance first started to come on to the scene and started questioning a lot of what was happening. So really, this was huge in medical education. If, if you were a physician in the 12th to the 17th century, you were studying Galen and you were studying Avicenna at that point. Those were two humongous textbooks and super important for being a good doctor in those, in those ages. It is stated in the last 30 years of the 15th century, the canon passed through 15 Latin editions and one Hebrew edition. The canon is divided into five books, including medical therapeutics with 760 drugs listed. So this was an, an very specific, unlike Hippocrates, who had a lot of theories and philosophy about how to, to help people. This was very specific with drugs and therapeutics on how to help people. And there are five books. Book one um, was the Institutes of Medicine and includes definition of medicine, its task, its relation to philosophy, the elements, juices, and temperaments, and the organs and their functions, causes and symptoms of disease, general dietetics and prophylaxis or prevention, and general therapeutics. That was book one. And remember, we're saying the elements and the juices and the temperaments, it's very much from Greek medicine, you know, the the four elements and the, and, the, and the humors and things along those lines. Book two, on the simple medications and their actions. Book three, the diseases of the brain, the eye, the ear, the throat, and oral cavity, respiratory organs, the heart, the breast, the stomach, the liver, the spleen, the intestine, the kidneys, and the general organs. Book four was on fevers, symptoms, and prognosis, on sediments, on wounds, on dislocations, on poisons and cosmetics. And finally, book five was on compounding of medications. So that sounds really complete. I mean, it, it sounds like it has anatomy and, and at least some and a lot of physiology, as well as a lot of therapeutics, different types of therapeutics. Uh, so really interesting book that hit a lot of different aspects of medicine. So far, Safari, who wrote an article on Ibn Sina, says the canon brilliantly synthesizes Islamic medicine with that of Hippocrates and Galen. Uh, and here is Hippocrates, it's 460 to 370 BC, so it uh, should be uh, BCE. Uh, and there you go. So there are also elements of ancient Persian, Mesopotamian, and Indian medicine. This was supplemented by Avicenna's extensive medical experiences. Avicenna introduced diagnoses and treatments for illnesses unknown to the Greeks, being the first doctor to describe meningitis. One of the other things he did, which was interesting, is he accurately described the circulation of blood in the body. And that wasn't really, that's in, in the West, that's really attributed to Harvey of the Renaissance era. So, you know, 600 years later, basically. Um, so uh, really, really ahead of his time in a lot of aspects. He made new arguments for the use of anesthetics, analgesics, and anti-inflammatory substances. Um, and I, I have a, a, a chat here. It says he also gets into a lot of Chinese medicine, which is almost identical with Islamic medicine in terms of diagnosis. And, and I think that, you know, I, I don't know specifics about that, but I, I, I think that's very valid given that there was a lot of trade happening. I mean, these are neighbors, basically. So there was a lot of trade happening, even to the Greek, you know, all the way to Greece and, and uh, Roman, uh, Rome and those sort of the, 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 you know, the Italians at that point. So absolutely, Chinese medicine was a huge influence throughout all of this as we're, as we're going on. What I find, and again, this is, you know, as I get into these great physicians, it's difficult 
because it seems like all these worlds are kind of self-containing. Like the Chinese want to talk about how important Chinese medicine is to the world. So they talk about how it spread and how it influenced everything else. You know, the Greek and the Western talk about um, the Greek medicine and how that influenced the world and current modern medicine. And then, of course, we have uh, Islamic culture that talks about how important they were. And it's it's hard to get a lot of cross, uh, accurate crossbreeding. In fact, a lot of the articles that I'm, I'm quoting here are, like one of them was in, I think, the Arabic uh, a medical journal or something along those lines. Again, insular. They're not in, you know, JAMA or, you know, a big Western journal. They're in um, journals that are specific to the area or to that kind of medicine, even in modern day to a certain extent. And so um, I, I want to engender, and I appreciate uh, you, you bringing that up, because I, I want to engender that these are not, uh, these influenced each other throughout history. And, and I don't think we get a lot of that when we look at Western history of medicine um, or even some of the other histories of medicine as well. And so I appreciate you bringing that up because I think it's really important in this, in this concept as we're talking about Avicenna. And it's one of my goals. So the Book of Healing, I mentioned that earlier. Uh, so again, this is from Seferi, uh, the Kitab al-Shafa. The Book of Healing was as influential in Latin as his medical canon. Divided into sections covering logic, science, mathematics, and metaphysics, it produced highly influen influential theses on the distinction between essence and existence in the famous flying man thought experiment, which I didn't look up but I'm now very curious about, which aims to establish how the soul is innately aware of itself. So again, very philosophical, even though it's called the Book of Healing. It sounds like it's much more of a philosophy book, but an important, very important one. Shafiri adds, another innovative aspect of Avicenna's canon is its exploration of how our body's well-being depends on the state of our mind and the interaction between the heart's health and our emotional life. And so, you know, there you go. I mean, this is Ibn Sina. We've, we've covered a lot about Ibn Sina. We're going to get into herb right now. Um, one of the greatest physicians in history. And his medical and philosophical thoughts were very holistic in general and very much in line with Chinese and herbal medicine. So um, thank you. The, the flying man goes back to Aristotle. So there you go. Very influenced. He was clearly very influenced by um, Greek philosophy and Greek medicine. Uh, which, again, was very influential in the West as well. I mean, it was very influential around the world. Uh, maybe not as much in, in China, though there was, I think, some influence. Uh, if you look at some of the herbs, they may have been from Greek origin. Not many, but a few. Um, so very interesting overall. And again, I, I just, I, I, I was interested in doing this because I'd heard a lot about Avicenna, and I didn't know a lot about him. So I wanted to, to do that for this, for this, so I would learn more about Ibn Sina and, and the history of this because I feel like that you don't get a lot of that. Like I said, I've read a whole, you know, it's a thick book on all the great doctors, and um, I think it's mentioned. I don't think there's a chapter, and it's been a few years. I don't recall being a chapter on Avicenna. So really interesting. I wanted to talk about him. So that was our little something different for today. Let's get into our herb of the day, which, as we mentioned, is Yi Ren, uh, also, uh, or in straight English, Job's Tears. And it comes from the family Gramina, uh, Graminiae. We're going to find out that's not exactly true, but that's from, from uh, one of the main textbooks, Graminiae. Gram Graminiae. The species is Coex lacryma jovi el var ma yuen roman staff. That's a, that's a big, <laughs> that's, a, that's a long name. Um, but Coex lacryma jovi, um, el var means is a variant of that. Uh, and then after that, it gets into who kind of classified it. So this is a big one. Its English translation is really straightforward. Yiran just means coex seeds, coex, C-O-I-X, which is sort of the non-Latin, um, though it is the Latin, but that is sort of its common name as well as coex, coex. And it's the seeds of that. Other names, as we mentioned, Job's Tears, um, can be Miren, Yiran, Yimi, Zhao Shudza, Tuangu, Liodgu, Miao Dongju. I don't have toe marks on this, so please forgive me for that. Putiza, Shui Yumi, and in Japanese, Yoko Inin, and in Korean, it's Yuinin. 
I, it's U-I-I-I-N in Korean. That's at least what was listed in Bensky and his, his, his team's book. So those are all names for this. So I said it was the Graminier uh, family, but in actuality, it's probably the Poissier or, or, uh, family. So the Poissier or Graminier family, they're, they're used interchangeably. I think the Poissier is, is currently more correct than the Graminier, but they're still both used. So Poissier uh, or the Graminier uh, is the family of grasses or monocotyl cotyledinous, cotyledinous flowering plants. So um, monocots are grass and grass-like flowering plants, angiosperms, uh, that's a flowering plant, the seeds of which typically contain only one embryonic leaf or cotyledon. So it's monocotyledon, so one cotyledon or one embryo leaf. So that's where that name comes from. Monocots is sort of the shortened version of that. They're uh, monocotyledonous, I'm getting better, or a little bit better every time I say it, uh, monocotyledonous uh, flowering plants and include the cereal grasses such as corn, wheat, barley, and millet, bamboos, and grassland and lawn grasses. So you can see, you know, this is probably of all the, the families of plants out there, this is probably the one that affects us most. We see every day. I mean, I don't know about you, I can't can't look without seeing a lawn somewhere. I have lawn in my house. Uh, I don't know how much longer that's going to last. Um, so, you know, this is everywhere. And I eat rice and I eat corn. And I eat these things. So there you go. Uh, rice is one of those as well, by the way. So it's not on that list, but rice is there too. There are around 780 genera and 12,000 species in this ubiquitous family. Ubiquitous means everywhere. In other words, it's it grows everywhere in the world. There's no specific... Uh, zones, temperate zones, or, or uh, areas where it grows. There are numerous subdivisions in this family, which I'm not getting into. There's like 10 or 12 of them, not worth getting into. And this is the, the statistic that I thought was very interesting. They provide over half of all calories consumed by humans and are used as building materials in the form of bamboo, thatch, and straw, as well as a source of biofuel from maize or corn. That's huge. Over half of our calories by humans is from this family. This family is estimated to constitute over 40% of the land area of Earth, not counting Greenland or Antarctica. That's huge. So not only is it providing 50% of our calories, it's not quite, but almost 40% of, on, of all our land mass. This is just a giant family. Uh, seagrasses, rushes, and sedges are all monocots, but are not part of this family. So those don't get um, put into this family. So very interesting family that this comes from. It is one of those cereal grasses because this is considered a cereal. So, yeah. I have a question. Is Job's Tears the same as barley? So that is a great question. And I, and I thought it was until I started doing this. I My understanding is Job's Tears are Chinese pearl barley, which is different than barley. So they're slightly different species is my understanding of uh, what's going on here. So it is not the same. So you can't go necessarily to the store and buy barley and say, I'm getting medium. They look very similar, and I would suspect they have similar sort of uh, uh, herb functions, but they're not technically the same. And when we see this and other sort of similar things, they're not... The functions aren't exactly the same either or not as strong or what have you. These are usually the Chinese herbs that are very specific on these spe species are stronger than other species. So, yeah, this is not exactly the same as barley, but certainly very close. So this category, all the three, the three major texts that I use all agree. Um, pretty much on, they just call it slightly different things, but it's in the same category. So Bensky places this herb, and his team places this herb in the herbs that drain dampness category. Chen and Chen puts it in the water regulating and damp resolving herbs category. So very similar. And Brandon Wiseman agrees saying it is a, so they use the Wiseman dictionary things, which I think is technically very accurate, but it can sound a little funny. So they say it's the exact same category, 
They say it is a water disinhibiting swelling dispersing medicinal under water disinhibiting swelling dampness percolating medicinal. So very, very wordy, very specific. Um, and uh, I, I like what they do with the technical terms, but it can be a mouthful, <laughs> as we just saw. But basically, they all agree that in the same sort of scenario, it helps with dampness. It is sweet, bland, and slightly cold and enters the lung, spleen, stomach, and kidney channels. So Chen Chen says it's cool rather than slightly cold and does not include the kidney channel. So it just says it enters the lung, spleen, and stomach. Brandon Wiseman includes the heart channel and says some sources include the kidney channel. So um, that's interesting. So they're on the fence on the kidney, and they do add the heart channel. So, you know, that's why several textbooks, I think, are useful here. It's also why I'm not a huge fan of testing which channels herbs enter uh, on, on uh, boards. Uh, I just, because the different textbooks often disagree. So the Di Divine Farmer's Materia Medica, which we're going to find out is very important, says it is sweet and slightly cold. So not, uh, it doesn't get into as much depth as some of the others, but certainly is in agreement. Dosage for this uh, is 9 to 30 grams, according to Bensky and his team. Both Chen and Chen and Brandon Wiseman say 10 to 30 grams, which is fine. And in emergencies, dosage can increase, according to um, Bensky, to 15 to 30 grams as well. Uh, so that's interesting. I'm going to look that up. Uh, is 9 to 30 includes 15 to 30. I think it may be 15 to 60 grams. Chen Chen, so Yi Ren must be taken at large dosages for a long time since it is relatively mild. And then the two books that give source information, Bensky and Chen and his team and Chen Chen, they agree the original source for this herb is the Shendong Ben Sao Jing, the Divine Husbandsman's classic of the Materia Medica from the second century CE, as we've talked about a lot on Spurs Herbs. That is the first existing that we have today book on individual herbs. And so the fact, you know, I, I mentioned earlier um, that we said it was uh, sweet and slightly cold, and that's important because that's really kind of the first written evidence of, of Yi Ren. And so it's kind of the first thing. And then as things have developed, we add in the channels and do things along those lines as we saw earlier. Good quality Yi Ren. Bensky says, and his team say, good quality consists of big, full white grains. And they also say the best quality comes from Fujian and Hebei uh, provinces. So Zhao and Chen, who wrote uh, the, um, oh man, I, I looked it up just before I did it. It's, it's uh, the identification. It's Chinese medical identification, and they're all about adding in quality notes into it. Say the best quality is large, full, white, and intact, similar to glutinous rice. It should have a wide egg-like or oval shape and be externally white and lustrous with a firm texture, a faint odor, and a slightly sweet taste. The fractured surface is white and powdery. One end is blunt and round, the other end relatively broad and slightly indented with a pale brown dotted hilum, which is center line. The backside is round and convex. The front side has one relatively wide, deep longi longitudinal groove. And that is good quality Yi Ren. So what does it do? Uh, Chinese medical actions. According to Bensky and his team, Yi Ren has the following actions. It facilitates the resolution of dampness and strengthens the spleen. It facilitates the resolution of dampness and eliminates painful obstruction. It clears heat and expels pus, and it clears damp heat because it's got that slightly cold aspect to it. So it clears not only dampness, but heat as well. Chen Chen, very similar actions, uh, though some might be a little bit different. Strengthens the spleen and resolves dampness. Resolves dampness and relieves pain and clears heat and dispels pus. And Brandon Wiseman similarly say it fortifies the spleen, disinhibits water, that's another way of saying resolve dampness, more, probably more technical way, and percolate, disinhibits water and percolates dampness. 
uh, again, very interesting word percolates. Uh, it eliminates impediments. Remember in Chinese medicine, medicine, any kind of impediment is pain. So when it says eliminates pain, it means uh, eliminates impediment. It means basically relieving pain. So it's talking about sort of the source of pain rather than the pain itself. And it clears heat and expels pus. So this pus aspect is an important one. So we're gonna we're gonna see how that uh, rolls out here. Uh, Zhao and Chen, uh, we're still in Chinese medical actions. Zhao and Chen say it fortifies the spleen, percolates dampness, eliminates impediment, relieves diarrhea. So that's a new one. Clears heat and expels pus. So again, very, very similar, except for maybe that diarrhea one. And then the Divine Farmer's Materia Medica. So remember, this is the first really, you know, uh, look at EUN. So this is proto Herbal, you know, this is the beginning of herbology. It says it is a superior herb. One of the things that the Shandong Bounce of Jing or the Divine Farmers of Interior America does is it puts herbs in superior, middle, or inferior categories. Uh, superior being um, safe and can be done a lot and might be considered part of the food, more of a food substance, something to be eaten on a more regular basis. So, superior herb is important. And it mainly treats hypertonicity of the sinews with inability to contract or stretch and wind damp impediment. So very different than what we've seen so far. It down bears, which means it pushes things down. So that would be our drain dampness or resolve dampness function. And protracted taking may make the body light and boost the chi. So again, taking it long term is not a bad thing, according to the Divine Farmers Materia Medica. Again, that's older, so look at more recent things to really judge therapeutics. Preparation, so there's lots of forms that this comes in. In its unprepared form, it is better for promoting urination to eliminate dampness, clear heat, and expel pus. It is thus most effective for edema, dampness, wind damp, painful obstruction, or abscesses. So this wind damp, painful obstruction, of course, is a very interesting category of, of Chinese medical diseases called B syndrome. Uh, be translated as impediment syndrome or painful obstruction syndrome. And uh, we often, this wind down painful obstruction, we would put things like arthritis often in that category, though I don't like to translate Western directly into Chinese, but usually arthritis either um, really uh, rheumatoid or, or uh, um, I'm totally blanking on the O. It starts with an O. I know it does. <laughs> Arthroosteoarthritis. There we go. I'll get it. Uh, osteoarthritis uh, falls into uh, a painful obstruction category. Not always wind damp, but often wind damp, painful obstruction. There's several different types of it. So there you go. So that's unprepared form. Dry fried coics or chow yi ren uh, is where cleaned yi ren are dry fried or baked at a moderate temperature, sometimes with bran until they are slightly yellow, then they are cooled. If dry fried until brown, burn spots appear, it is called scorched coics or jiao yi ren. Uh, this dry frying reduces its cold nature, improving its ability to strengthen the spleen and harmonize the middle. When bran is added in the processing, it enhances the tonification of the middle burner. This allows it to stop diarrhea while still facilitating the removal of dampness. And scorched coics reduces food stagnation and harmonizes the stomach. Raw and cooked coex. This is Shen Shu Yi Ren. This is a term used in prescriptions to indicate that both unprepared and prepared coex are to be dispensed. This is often prescribed for diarrhea due to spleen deficiency with overabundant dampness. It ensures that while the spleen is sufficiently augmented, pathogenic dampness will also be adequately leached out. That's an interesting combination. And then we have the, co the root, um, coex root, or yi gun, gun meaning root rather than ren meaning seed. Uh, the root is bitter, sweet, and cold. It clears heat and facilitates the resolution of dampness and is used for damp heat, painful urinary dribbling, painful bloody urinary dribbling, edema, and lung abscess. It also expels parasites. Customary dosage is 10 to 15 grams. And as noted in omissions from the classic of the Materia Medica, it should not be used during pregnancy. Boiled and consumed, it aborts the fetus. 
not using the pregnancy here, which we're going to find out is one of the cautions with EUN in general, um, but we'll get to there in a bit. Chen Chen say the unprocessed herb functions better to clear heat and regulate water circulation. The dry fried herb has enhanced effectiveness to tonify the spleen and relieve diarrhea. Brandon Wiseman similarly say, use the raw form of UUN to clear damp heat. Use the stir-fried form to fortify the spleen and check diarrhea. So as we, we talked about, if you know you have some raw UUN, you want to add it to your conjure or whatever, you can stir-fry it in, in, until it's yellow, and then you've got the stir-fried form. If you just want to fortify the spleen and check diarrhea, if you want to use it to, to kind of clear damp heat, then you can use the raw form, and that's the thing. So it's, it's easy to go back and forth with this if you have the raw UUN. Western uses. This herb is primarily used in Chinese medicine. The PDR for herbal medicines does not have an entry for this herb. Likewise, the American Herbal Products Association's Botanical Safety Handbook says this herb has traditionally been eaten as a food in China, India, and Southeast Asia. So again, no mention of the West at all. So really, this is not used herbally a lot uh, uh, from a Western sort of point of view. So not a lot of Western uses. So there's a lot of commentary about this. Bensky has a, a good amount of commentary, so we're going to get into that. So Bensky uh, says, uh, sweet, bland, and slightly cold, with a nature that drains and directs downward, Yiren enters the lung, spleen, stomach, and kidney channels. The spleen is averse to dampness and prefers dryness. Excessive dampness encumbers the spleen and impairs its transportive and transformative functions. The bland flavor of Yiren leaches out dampness, and its sweetness augments the spleen. Thus, it both eliminates dampness and strengthens the spleen. It is primarily used for symptoms associated with an overabundance of dampness coupled with a weak spleen. This would include diarrhea, loss of appetite, edema, abdominal distension, leg chi, leg chi edema. That's um, We would often call that pitting edema in the West, so that's edema of the legs, vaginal discharge, and urinary difficulty. The spleen governs the flesh, and Yiren is especially valued for its ability to eliminate pathogenic dampness from the flesh, muscles, sinews, and bones. So finally, we have the sinews come in. Remember, that was one of the functions under the Divine Husbandsman's uh, classic, talked about the sinews, and that was the only time we saw it in the function, so it's good to see it here as well. Uh, it is commonly used to treat wind damp, painful obstruction, and spasms of the sinews, especially if associated with heat. Because the spleen is the source of generative transformation, if the spleen and stomach are strong, the lung chi will be sufficient. Yi Ren enters the lung channel where it augments the lungs, clears heat, and expels pus. It is thus useful in the treatment of lung abscess, lung atrophy, and intestinal abscess. The Grand Materia Medica observes that this is a, quote, a yang brightness herb strengthening the spleen and augmenting the stomach. For deficiency, tonify the mother so it is used for lung atrophy and lung abscess. So we talk about the mother there. We're talking about five elemental um, sort of associations. We won't get into that too much here. Disorders of the sinews and bones are addressed at the root by treating the young, by treating young brightness, and thus it is used for cramps, spasms, and wind painful obstruction. Earth generates water and eliminates dampness, thus it is used for diarrhea dysenteric disorders, and edema. That was from the Grand Materia Medica. The description of the Materia Medica uh, notes that it expels dampness, but is not as dry as either type of Atractylodes. It clears heat, but does not injure the yin, like Scutellaria radix or Huang Qin, or Coptis rhizoma Huang Lian. It augments the qi, but it does not increase damp heat, like Ginseng radix or Ren Shen or Tractylotus macrocephalae rhizoma baiju. It is truly a notable herb for augmenting the middle chi. So there you go. So this is a relatively mild herb, but it's there's some really important use cases for it. So that's what we're talking about here. Bensky continues, taken together, its harmonious nature allows it to tonify without being cloying and to leach out dampness without harming the yin. It can be used whenever dampness results from spleen deficiency, 
when the fluid pathways are not flowing smoothly. However, inconvenient reader of Materia Medica, Zhang Bing Cheng, notes that while it strengthens the spleen and augments the stomach, its tonification is not as powerful as that of Dioscrea rhizoma or Shanyao. Cooling heat and facilitating the removal of pathogenic dampness, these are its strong points. Chen Chen has commentary, and they say Yi Ren is one of the most helpful herbs for treatment of acne. It is combined with Qingshang Feng Feng Tang, or clear the upper and guard the wind decoction, so this is his formula, to treat acne with whiteheads. It is used with Huanglian Shang Qingwang, or coppice pills to clear the upper, a different formula, to treat acne pustules that are red and inflamed. According to Dr. Yin Hui He, when treating patients with large intestine disorders that manifest in pus or blood in the stools, accompanied by feelings of incomplete evacuation after defecation, herbs such as Yi Ren, Dao Ren, or Simen Persica, Dong Guizhe, Simen Benincasie, which we're going to talk quite a bit about in just a minute, so keep that in mind, and Huang Qing, Red Excutellaria, are useful. They enter the lung, the paired organ of the large intestine, and drain dampness. This principle can also be applied when treating inflammatory bowel disorders. So a lot of what, as I was reading this, I'm thinking inflammatory bowel disorders, IBD. So that's your Crohn's and that's your, your uh, ulcerative colitis. So interesting, this could be useful in those cases. Brent Wiseman says Yi Ren is only mo a moderately powerful agent, so its dosage should be somewhat high. In addition to decocted decocted formulas, pills, and powders, Yiren is made into a kanji and is frequently used in dietary therapy. So there you go. That's my kanji use. Two forms are sold in Chinese pharmacies, large seeds and small seeds. The larger one is coax, and the smaller one is pearled barley. Coax is more potent, but pearled barley has a better taste. Again, slightly different species here, vari variants of the same species. I wouldn't be too worried about either one. So, All right, let's talk about some comparisons. Uh, Bensky talks about two herbs to compare with it. One of them is poria or fuling. This is, the fuling is probably the first and, and probably the most important of the drain dampness herbs. Really important herb, not well known outside of Chinese herbology, but within Chinese herbology, it's one of the grand, grand pubas of herbs. I mean, I would definitely rank it in the top 10 herbs in Chinese medicine. So um, so here we go. We're comparing yi ren with, with fuling or poria. Both herbs are of a similar nature, strengthening the spleen and facilitating the removal of dampness. They are often used together in the treatment of spleen deficiency with overabundant dampness or edema. However, yi ren is cold and can clear heat. So that is often used for abscess of the lung or intestines and the lung atrophy. atrophy. It also removes dampness at the level of the bones, muscles, and sinews. By contrast, fooling is neutral. It augments the heart and spleen and calms the spirit. And then the other herb uh, that Bensky compare and his team compare with Yi Ren is Dongguizhe or um, Benincase Kase, uh, semen. Both herbs clear heat and expel pus and are commonly used together in the treatment of abscess in either the lungs or the large intestine. We're going to find out that's also part one of the, the, uh, the uh, combination herbs as well. However, Benincasie, semen, or Donguadze is slippery and facilitates movement in the large intestine. It is more appropriate if damp heat has accumulated in the large intestine and led to constipation or irregular bowel movements with an unfinished sensation. By contrast, Yi Ren excels at strengthening the spleen and facilitating the drainage of water and dampness and is thus more commonly used when overabundant dampness has caused diarrhea, painful obstruction disorder, or edema. So those are our comparisons. Let's get into combinations. Uh, again, we have two combinations from Bensky and his team. And one of those we already talked about, that's the Benincasie semen or Dongoidza that we just talked about. These two sweet, bland, cooling herbs leach out dampness and expel pus. Because each of them is also a food, their individual effect as a medicinal is very weak and gentle, but together their ability to expel pus is much stronger. Thus, they are often used in combination when an abscess is either, is 
when an abscess in either the lungs or the large intestine has formed pus, at which time other herbs to strengthen the effect can be added. In the lungs, frag fragmentitis, phragmitis, rhizoma or lugun, uh, persica, semen, dalren, and platycode radix or jigung. And in the large intestine, petrinia, herba or um, baijiang sao, forsythia fructus, lian chow, and mutan cortex, mudan pea. In either case, the dosage of both herbs should be large, 20 to 30 grams, and up to 60 grams if the condition is severe. That's combining it with dongguanzi. The other combination is with, uh, I've never been able to pronounce this, this Latin properly, uh, chenomalus fructus or mu gua. Uh, sweet blend and slightly cold yi ren strengthens the spleen, facilitates the removal of pathogenic dampness, soothes the sinews, and expels painful obstruction. Uh, Chenomelis fructus mugua is sour and warm, facilitates the removal of pathogenic dampness, regulates the spleen, soothes the sinews, and invigorates the collaterals. It is primarily used to treat the vomiting and diarrhea of sudden turmoil disorder. That's one of, a, a, when I say favorite, I don't mean like I want anyone to have it, but I, 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 it's just one of the most descriptive disease names in Chinese medicine, sudden turmoil disorders when you have vomiting and diarrhea. And I, the sort of the, the, uh, the line is you're not sure whether you should sit or face the toilet um, when you have that. And we've all had a condition like that. It's horrible, but it's called sudden turmoil disorder. So uh, this, the mugua, is primarily used to treat the vomiting and diarrhea of sudden turmoil disorder, cramping, and leg chi. Remember, that's edema of the legs due to pathogenic dampness. Because one herb is warm and the other is slightly cold, when combined, they can be used in treating either hot or cold disorders. This combination is often used for summer heat dampness, leading to vomiting, diarrhea, abdominal pain, and camping, cramping, excuse me, or in cramping, or for leg pain with heavy, numb sensations and softened sinews due to pathogenic dampness blocking the channels and collaterals, as well as leg chi edema and damp, painful obstruction. So that was our combinations contents here. We have a bunch of constituents of the urine. It has many fatty acids and esters, volatile oils, polysaccharides, including the very specific uh, coaxin uh, A, B, and C. Uh, and then it also contains uh, beta. Oh, and, and other constituents are called coax uh, coaxol and coaxinol coaxanilide. I include those because when it has coax as the name, this is where they discovered them and is probably the main source of these specific kinds of cons constituents. It also contains um, beta-cytosterol, which we've talked about a lot, a common herb component. Uh, it is a terpenoid that helps prostate problems as well as having anti-inflammatory, antioxidant, and immune-strengthening effects. That's the beta-cytosterol. I don't think that's one of its main components, but it certainly is is there and and having some effects. Let's talk about the science. According to Chen and Chen, Yiren has several pharmacological effects, including its anti-neoplastic, which means it's anti-cancer, various muscle effects, including an inhibitory effect on the mu skeletal muscle, a stimulating effect on the smooth muscle of the uterus, and varied effects on the smooth muscle of the intestines. It also appears to have mild sedative, analgesic, and antipyretic effects. They also include a small study with an N of 23. That's 23 participants. So that's not a statistically significant. Generally, we need at least 30 to 40 for it to be statistically significant. So take this with a grain of salt. But the small study showed beneficial effects in treating flat warts. That's an interesting use of this herb. Uh, Yin and their team say coax polysaccharides showed antioxidative, anti-cancer, gut microbiota modification. In other words, it affects the gut biome, uh, uh, you know, the, 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 the gut bacteria. It's hypoglycemic, anti-complementary, and immunological modulation activities. That, that basically means it helps the immune system. So... There you go. So that's from uh, a scientific study, a relatively recent one, 2018. That was actually a review of other studies. So I, I like reviews in general. So this one was 
and strength. We'll put a lot on it. Drug-herb interactions. A search for cytochrome P450 and P-glycoprotein interactions. The UREN did not find any. So both of those are risk factors for drug-herb interactions. There does not appear to have those risk factors for drug-herb interactions. There are other risk factors for drug-herb interactions. Uh, for example, protein binding. But a, a lot of research is just starting to get ramping up on herbs in that. And so there's not a lot of information yet on herbs in something like P, uh, something like protein binding. This is supported by Gardner and McGuffin. That's the American uh, Herbal Producers Association uh, safety manual, basically. And they say this herb is interaction class A, its safest rating indicating no expected interactions when used properly. So I, I don't think there's a huge concern here when it comes to drug-herb interactions. There are some concerns. It is considered a quite safe herb, even in higher quantities, higher dosages, but there are some concerns. So Bensky and his team discusses some traditional contraindications from detailed materia medica. Uh, its nature is that of descending autumn, so it is inappropriate for deficiency with sinking tendencies. Long-term consumption during pregnancy can lead to miscarriage. Chen and Chen has similar concerns saying it is contraindicated during pregnancy and should be used with caution in patients with spermatorrhea and polyuria. So spermatorrhea basically means leaking of sperm. Um, I've been told, you know, that's not something that you see in Western medicine textbooks. I've been told it might be little bit more appropriate along the lines of like nocturnal, um, uh, uh, not nocturnal emissions, it's bedwetting, but um, 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 wet dreams and things along those lines might be considered spermatorrhea. And then polyuria means uh, frequent urination. So uh, Brandon Wiseman say it is not appropriate for patients with insufficiency of fluids. And Gardner and McGuffin, again, that's the American Herbal Products Association safety manual, also say this herb is safety class 2B. So it's not its safest, but really 2B just says it should not be used during pregnancy. So again, we have um, caution during pregnancy, which we've seen a couple times here. So I'd be I wouldn't be using this with, with a pregnant woman necessarily. Even though it's a food, even though it's relatively safe, um, I be very cautious when doing that. None of these are... They're not, yeah, you know, Chen Chen does say it's contraindicated during pregnancy, so I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't fool around with that. I don't, when, when I treat my my pregnant patients, I'm very, very cautious about what I what I do with them. This would not be in the mix. And that is our herb for the day. So thank you very much for joining us. Uh, we started our podcast today with a discussion of another of the great physicians of the world, Avicenna or Avicenna. And then we discuss an amazing food and herb, Yi Ren, a safe and useful herb for disinhibiting dampness, supporting the spleen, and helping purulent or pus-filled conditions, especially in the lung and the large intestines. And this whole thing has reminded me to A, make some kanji, and B, add this herb into it. Kanji, again, from a Chinese point of view, is probably the perfect food uh, because it's, uh, from a Chinese point of view, it, it's already pre-digested. It's a really... Um, well-boiled soup, um, very pre-digested, takes minimal action of the body to try and digest it, so you don't use up any of your body resources in order to, to integrate it into your body. And you can make kanji. Um, I, I like it a little bit, um, you know, I'll, I'll throw in a little sweet, like I might put in some Chinese dates or something along those lines, or like cinnamon in it, some of those herbs. Um, but you can also make it very savory as well. It's very, very traditional to put fish balls or, or pork or, or uh, you know, any number of, of animal products into it as well, chicken and what have you. So uh, excellent. If you're not familiar with kanji, look it up. It's super important. The other name for it is juk. That's in Cantonese. So you might see that uh, in some places. Uh, I know one of my, my co-author in my book, uh, I might totally blank on it. It's right there. Uh, Flaws, Bob Flaws. Uh, I'm a little uh, out of it today, apparently. So Bob Flaws uh, wrote a book called, or, or I don't know if he wrote it or translated it, but it's called The Book of Joke. And it's all about different recipes for kanji. So that's a great resource if you want to learn more about kanjis. In our next episode, we will, looking at a we will be looking at a commonly used herbal formula Sangerdzisan or xanthium powder.
This is a very important formula for treating sinusitis and other nasal conditions. It shows some interesting effects of some of the herbs to direct the other herbs in the formula to a specific body part, in this case, the nose. As usual, we'll be exploring something a little different, continuing our discussion of great physicians. So we'll see which great physician is next. Please join us for the next interesting episode. And finally, thank you very much. Appreciate you listening. If you like this podcast, please do us a huge favor. Give us a five-star rating in your favorite podcast app. That would, wow, that would just send us over the moon. So thank you. And you can get this. Remember, you can get this and 30% off our drug herb series CUs and NCCOM PDAs. Those are so drug herb series continuing education units, National Certification Commission of Acupuncture and Oriental Medicine, uh, professional development activities at www.integrativemedicinecouncil.org. And if you want that 30% off, put that slash 32. And you can get that 30% off those first two uh, drug herb series courses. And of course, you can always get in touch with me at drgreg at spurbsherbs.com or at our website, www.spurbsherbs.com, S-P-E-R-B-S-H-E-R-B-S. And of course, I have my bibliography. Thank you. Spurbs Herbs. The proceeding was presented by Dr. Greg Sperber. We would like to thank Janelle for all her support and everybody else who contributed to this program. Janelle. Timothy Dobbins. Rogers. Campbell.